Hey, y'all. We're rerunning two episodes today. Enjoy the show. Hello. Welcome to This Day in History class, where we dust off a little piece of history every day. The day was February 28th, 1874. It was the last day of Regina versus Castro, a criminal trial that lasted 188 court days, one of the longest cases in English legal history. The star of the trial was a man who claimed to be the heir to the Tichborne baronetcy. A baronetcy is a hereditary honor awarded by the British crown that's usually given to families of nobility or wealth. The Tichborns were a wealthy family in Hampshire, England. And the oldest Tichborne son, Roger, was next in line to be baronet. But he went missing. And when Roger's mom, Henriette Tichborne, desperately searched for any clues as to where Roger could be, the claimant stepped up, saying he was Roger. It's a weird series of events that brings us to this day, the day on which the claimant was found guilty of perjury for lying about being Roger Tichborne. The Tichborne case is still shrouded in mystery, but like any good years-long scandalous drama should, the case took Victorian England by storm. Roger traveled a lot. After making his way around South America, Roger hopped on a ship called the Bella on April 20th, 1854 at Rio de Janeiro. The ship was headed to Kingston, Jamaica, and New York. But a few days later, wreckage and a lifeboat bearing the name Bella were found off the coast of Brazil. The ship and people on it were considered lost. Roger's father accepted the fact that his son was gone, but Roger's mother, Lady Tichborne, held out hope that her son was still out there somewhere. She even contacted Clairvoyant, who told her that her son was alive. And on top of that, there were whispers that the people who survived the Bella wreck were rescued and taken to Australia. So Lady Tichborne put out advertisements, offering money to anyone who could provide information on Roger's whereabouts. Her appeals were unsuccessful initially. Roger's father died in 1862, so Roger was set to be the 11th baronet of Tichborne. Roger did have a brother, Alfred, who would have taken Roger's place and become baronet. But Lady Tichborne refused to give up on Roger. In 1865, a butcher named Thomas Castro in Wagga Wagga, Australia, stepped forward to say that he'd survived a shipwreck and had property in England. He claimed he was Roger Tichborne, and he wrote to Lady Tichborne to tell her that yes, he was alive. His answers to some of Lady Tichborne's questions were suspicious, but that didn't faze her. Her willingness to accept that Castro truly was Roger might have been affected by the fact that she had lost her other son, Alfred, in 1866. But this mystery man said a ship called the Osprey rescued him after the Bella crashed, and it took him to Australia, where he decided to stay and make a living. 
After reaching out to Lady Tichborne, the claimant, as he came to be known, moved to Sydney with plans to move to England. In Sydney, he ran into two people who had been servants for the Tichborne family. They both agreed that the butcher was Roger, though one changed his mind after the claimant asked him for money. But the claimant's actions didn't exactly inspire confidence that he was actually Roger. The claimant wrote a will in which he called his supposed mother, Lady Tichborne, the wrong name. But either way, Lady Tichborne helped the claimant fund travel back to England, and he arrived in England in 1866. When he got to England and met with Lady Tichborne, she accepted him as Roger and began paying him a yearly allowance of 1,000 pounds. But Lady Tichborne was one of the few people who were on his side. Much of the family and family friends weren't falling for the claimant's assertions. And with good reason. Based on appearance alone, he weighed a lot more than Roger had before he'd left. But there were more serious issues with his claim. For one, he didn't understand French or have an accent, even though Roger had. And he didn't remember anything about the boarding college Roger had attended. But he did remember details about Roger's childhood that would be hard for anyone else to fake. So there was room to believe he was telling the truth, especially after he claimed that the shipwreck had affected his memory. Even with the claimant's misspellings and shaky memory, Lady Tichborne still believed he was her son. But she died in 1868, which meant the claimant no longer had his biggest supporter and source of income. But his time to prove his identity and claim his rights to the Tichborne estate did come when his civil trial began in May 1871. Investigators said that the claimant was actually Arthur Orton, the son of a butcher from London who had moved to Australia and took the name Tom Castro. He'd taken advantage of Lady Tichborne's ads to improve his finances and status, they suggested. The claimant denied he was Orton. But in the end, the claimant did not have tattoos that Roger had. So the claimant was arrested on perjury charges and sent to prison. The public was paying close attention to the trial, and the claimant appealed to people to support him. The working class was largely on his side, but the upper class sided with the Tichborns. And on April 21st, 1873, the criminal trial began. Sir Alexander Cockburn was the president of the panel of judges who heard the case. Edward Keneally was the claimant's lawyer. Henry Hawkins led the prosecution team. And Hawkins ended up calling hundreds of witnesses to deny that the claimant was Roger or to confirm that he was Arthur Orton. A handwriting expert said that the claimant's writing was that of Arthur, not Roger. And the ship that the claimant said he arrived at Australia on didn't have records of it picking up any shipwreck passengers. Basically, the evidence was stacked against the claimant. In the end, the jury took 30 minutes to deliberate. They said that the claimant was Arthur Orton, not Roger Tichborne, 
and they found him guilty of perjury. He was sentenced to prison for 14 years. Keneally, who had led a confrontational defense, was barred from practicing law after the jury condemned his behavior on trial. The claimant did 10 years in prison before he was released. In 1895, he confessed to being Arthur Orton, but he quickly retracted his statement, oddly enough. The claimant died destitute in 1898, and the verdict that he was actually Arthur Orton has since been widely accepted. But what really happened to Roger Tichborne remains to be seen. I'm Eve Jeffcoat, and hopefully you know a little bit more about history today than you did yesterday. If you feel like correcting my pronunciation or my accent on anything that I've said in the show, feel free to leave a very kind comment on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at T-D-I-H-C Podcast. Tune in tomorrow for another day in history. Hey everyone, I'm Eves, and welcome back to This Day in History class, a podcast where we unwrap a piece of history candy every day. The day was February 28, 1986. Swedish Prime Minister Olaf Palma was assassinated. The case remains unsolved, though the investigation of the murder is still underway. Olaf Palma got his law degree from the University of Stockholm in 1951. He soon joined the Social Democratic Labour Party and got a job in Sweden's defense ministry. In 1953, Palma was hired as the speechwriter and private secretary of Tog Erlander, the prime minister of Sweden from 1946 to 1969. Palma was elected as a member of parliament in 1957, and he continued to climb the political ladder. In 1963, he was appointed cabinet minister without portfolio. That title just means that he was elevated to the rank without being given responsibilities for a specific area of the government's activities. From 1965 to 1967, Palma was Minister of Communications, and in 1967, he was Minister of Education and Culture. As Minister of Education, he advocated for the inclusion of Marxist thought in curriculum, and in 1968, he marched against U.S. involvement in the Vietnam War. Palma morphed into an outspoken opponent of U.S. foreign policy, and as a result, relations between Sweden and the U.S. deteriorated. In 1969, he was elected chairman of the Social Democratic Party, and he became prime minister of Sweden. Palma continued to be critical of the U.S.'s involvement in the war in Vietnam. He forged connections with cultural leaders and politicians around the world, all the while gaining more international attention. He spoke out against apartheid in South Africa. He allied with Fidel Castro, prime minister of Cuba. At the same time, Sweden was undergoing extensive social reforms. Some of the issues that these reforms affected were subsidized housing, social security, maternity leave, and other family policies. This meant that taxes in Sweden were some of the highest in the world. Palma's first term as prime minister lasted until 1976, when the lack of support for the Social Democrats led Palma to fall from power. 
During this time, he acted as a mediator in the Iran hostage crisis, as well as the Iran-Iraq war. But he was once again elected prime minister, taking office in 1982. He continued to focus on international issues, addressing ones like disarmament and security. But he had evolved to become a little less politically controversial. On February 28, 1986, Palma and his wife, Lisbeth, were walking home from the movies in Stockholm. He did not have bodyguards with him at the time. Just before midnight, Palma was shot from behind. The first bullet, which hit him in the back, severed his spinal cord. A second bullet grazed Lisbeth. He was quickly transported to the hospital, but he was soon declared dead. Many conspiracy theories about who killed Palma emerged. A man named Christer Pedersen was arrested and convicted of his murder, but the conviction was overturned in 1989, and Pedersen died in 2004. Investigators have suspected the Swedish military, the South African Secret Service, and the Kurdistan Workers' Party. Though there were many witnesses to the shooting and thousands of people have been questioned, the murder has not been solved. I'm Eve Jeffcoat, and hopefully you know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. Give us a shout or a share on social media at TDIHCpodcast. Or if you are so inclined, you can send us a message at thisday at iheartmedia.com. We're here every day, so you know where to find us. Bye. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.